0: to summarize the book of Hosea, and every prophet, we're going to have a question that I think is being addressed in this book, but I think when we look at Hosea, I think the overarching question that we find is, what happens when we break God's heart? So God loves his people, so we read it, we're going to read about it in the book of Hosea that he loves his people, he cares about his people, but we also know that God cares about us, God loves us, God has compassion for us. But what happens when we break his heart? And is there anything that we can do to fix it? Is there any hope for us when we think about, okay, we're breaking God's heart? Is there anything that we can do to remedy the problem that we have created? And so if we jump right into the book, right, we're gonna start right in the first verse, and we're gonna jump around to different verses throughout the book to sort of give us the overarching theme and really see how it's answering this particular question. But we start out in the very beginning, and every prophet really starts out the same. And they don't have this, like, nice, wordy, you know, introduction to try to woo the listeners. They're going to jump right into it. And he says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Quite literally, what he is saying is, Go get yourself a whorish woman and whore children, because the country is really whoring away from Yahweh. So this is like a literal translation of what the prophet is telling his people, or God is telling this prophet to then tell his people that they are whoring away from Yahweh, whoring away from the Lord, from God. So Yahweh is that sacred name of God that you might see as Y-H-W-H, but we might pronounce it as Yahweh, though they didn't often uh, pronounce it in that way. And so what is it that's actually going on here? Now, God, generations before, had made a covenant with his people. Right? And the closest thing that we have to something like that is a marriage covenant, a marriage relationship. Now, of course, in our time, it seems like the sacred, sacredness of marriage has sort of been like thrown out the window. Right? We're not, it's not as sacred as it, as it used to be. People aren't staying together. People are finding any small reason to get divorced and to go off with somebody who's bigger and someone who's better. Right? That's what it's all about. But yet in that time, like, covenants weren't just broken. I mean, covenants, when you enter a covenant with someone, like this is a very sacred thing. And in a covenant, what you're saying is that, look, I have a, bar, a part of this that I have to fulfill. And there's a part of this that you have to fulfill as well. And that's the very same thing as a marriage covenant. Right? I bring something into it and my spouse brings something into it as well. But when one of those people breaks the covenant, it obviously hurts the other person. And so for God, he's talking to his people and saying, look, we had this covenant together and you have broken this covenant because what you have done, and this has been for many generations, is that God's people have always been choosing other things. God's people have always been choosing other gods. And for them, it was like literally other gods. And there were other gods that were influencing them from other groups of people that they decided to embrace. They decided to embrace the goddess Asherah or Baal, like you saw in the video there. And so there were other gods that they chose to embrace, even though God told them, you shall have no other gods before me. They hear that, but in practice, it doesn't, just, it doesn't actually play out. They go and do their own thing. And so we know in Hosea, like this is what they were doing, right? They were all about serving other gods. So they broke that covenant with God and they hurt him. in the same way that we look at a marriage covenant, if we do something that maybe we, we lie that causes distrust or do something to an extreme, like have an affair, we are going to hurt the other person very deeply. And so God's people were all about serving other gods and being unfaithful to God, Hosea 4.12, he says, look, they ask a piece of wood for advice. They think a stick can tell them the future. Longing after idols has made them foolish. So that's what they were doing. That's the heart of all of this. They've been unfaithful to God because they're serving other gods. Now, I went to the Bible Museum when I was in D.C. over the summer. And this was actually made out of stone. But they had other uh, relics and things like that that were actually made out of wood. And so this is actually like an actual statue from that time. And this was a statue made to the goddess Asherah that was found, I think, around 8th century B.C., 8th, 7th century B.C. And so they found this thing, and these are the things that they worshipped. These are the things that they actually would go to and actually ask for advice. These are the things that they would go to and actually bow down to. But again, they're breaking the covenant. You think about the Ten Commandments, right? You shall have no other gods before me, yet here they are having other gods before them. And now the prophet calls it out like it is, right? What does he say? He says, they have played the prostitute, serving other gods and deserting their God. Like, we like to be nice about this, right? So as a pastor, we like to be nice about this. As we talk in conversations with each other, we like to be nice about this. So like, we are just like these people. I mean, yeah, we don't have other physical gods that we're serving, but we know that in our own lives, there are other things that take the place of God, whether that's the self, whether that is our money, whether that is our job, whether that is our family, whether, whatever else you want to think of, there are other things that we can put in place of God in our life. And what we like to call it, we just like to say, well, you know what? You're just being unfaithful. We're just saying, well, maybe you're just your priorities aren't straight, right? Maybe this is just a season of your life that you don't have. You just, God's just not your number one and whatever, so on and so forth. We like to be nice about this, but the prophets, they're not nice about this. And actually, a lot of people didn't like what they had to say. Because a lot of things that they were saying were really hard truths. And so for us, if the prophets were here today, they would say the very same thing. Look, we are playing the prostitute, right? We're serving other gods. We are deserting God. God is not our first love. We are loving other things instead of God first. So we go back to the question, right? After that, what happens when we break God's heart? Well, there are consequences to it. Right? The consequences he laid out for his people, he told them, look, and this is, you remember in the video, he had two, three kids. We're just gonna talk about the second two because their names are more uh, applicable to what we're talking about. But he calls one child as a symbol to what his relationship with God, his own people would be. He says, they will be not loved, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. And the second child, not my people, for Israel is not my people and I am not their God. So the consequence of breaking the covenant when we break God's heart, what happens when we break God's heart is that we forever destroy that relationship. Like this isn't God destroying it, it's us. The consequences that we have because of our sin is not because God wants to just punish you because he's just an evil person like that. No, we have caused that. We know what we ought to be doing. We know the rules. We know what God requires of us. And we still decide each and every day to do the opposite of what God wants us to do. And so again, what happens when we break God's heart? Is there any hope for us when we know we've broken his heart? Now, if you think about it, the primary way in which we do this, the primary way in which we actually break God's heart is really just through our sin. Our sin is the thing that keeps us each and every day walking away from God. Every time we choose to engage in our own sin and the thing that God has asked us not to do, we are walking away from God from God. Now, all of us, we know, have the capacity to sin. And if you have kids, you know you have the capacity to sin. You have the capacity to disobey, the capacity to do the opposite of what your parent tells you to do. But we also know we have the capacity to do good, right? We have the capacity to do what is right, though that may not always be our tendency. And now God has known this. I mean, he created us. But if you go back to the early parts of the Old Testament, God was talking to his people in Deuteronomy, and he says, look, you have two ways of living. You can either live the wise way, which is of life and blessing, or you can live the other way, which is death and curse. Right? And that's the foolish way. So you've got two ways to live. Right? You've got to choose one. Choose life or choose death. That's what you've got. Now, Jesus in the New Testament uses different words, but he tells us the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what that also implies is that, yeah, we love God, but that we also have the capacity and tendency not to do that either. And so we have two options of how we want to live. But oftentimes we're choosing the other way. We're choosing to live hostile toward God. We want to do the thing we want to do. We don't want to do the thing that God has asked us to do. And so if sin is the thing that breaks God's heart, what do we know about sin? And what does Hosea tell us about our sin? Well, what we know, first and foremost, which is the obvious obvious thing, is that sin hurts. We know that sin hurts ourselves. Even though that's, we're always too late in the game for that is that we find out after everything we've done and maybe years after everything we've done that we now realize the consequences of that, that it hurts us. We know our sin hurts other people, but what we also know is our sin also hurts God. And so what that means is, is our sin, the way it hurts people, it is, is it hurts people personally. It hurts people deeply. Now, it's not like you know if you've ever gotten stopped for a ticket you're going speeding or something like that, or maybe for some other reason, and you get pulled over and you get a ticket, the cop is not deeply hurt by your infraction. He's not deeply hurt by your speeding. The cop doesn't come to your window with like tears coming down his eyes saying, like, how could you do this to me, Sarah Beth? How could you have sped when the speed limit is 70 and you were going 76? Like, How could you do that to me? Well, of course not, right? You broke the rules, you get the consequence, and then... You move on to your merry way and pay your fine you know later the cop really doesn't care that you've broken the rules but yet when we look at God and other people and ourselves we know that when we actually commit a sin right we know that it actually hurts us we know it causes division we know that it causes people to be angry with each other so we know that sin hurts I mean that's what Hosea says This is what God talking through the prophet. But when you had eaten and were satisfied, so when you've completely embraced everything and engaged with everything I told you not to do, you were satisfied, you became proud, and you forgot me. Like God had done so much for his people. I mean, he he saved them out of slavery in Egypt. Did that for his people, a big, huge event. And yet his people have forgotten him. Now you think about it in your own life, if you've ever been forgotten before, it doesn't feel very good to be forgotten, but yet God here is being forgotten by his own people that he's done so much for them. So we know that sin, when we fully engage in it, when we embrace it, we're hurting each other, we're hurting ourselves, and we're hurting God as well. We also know that sin is known, and if I should clarify this as well, that sin is always known. God says it again, it's people don't realize that I'm watching them. Their sinful deeds are all around them and I see them all. Like every deed that is done under the sun is seen. For those sins that are done in secret, whether it's something so big as a CEO who is embezzling money and nobody else knows about it, God sees that. For the person who might be looking at pornography, who is like, oh, nobody's ever going to catch me. Nobody's ever going to see this. Well, you, only I know about it, God, but God knows about it. God sees everything. Or we think about those other quote-unquote little sins that we have. And as you know, I don't believe in big sins, little sins, all sins the same before the eyes of God. But we think about the anger in our own hearts. We think about the lust in our hearts. We think about the times that we gossip. Oh yeah, nobody else knows, just me and the other person know. But God knows. All the sin that is around us, that we engage in, that we do, is known by God. And then we know that sin also breaks God's heart. What does Hosea tell us, right? Oh, Israel, this is God sort of like in his heart, like struggling and wrestling because he loves this people. He loves his people. He loves us. And this is God's sort of internal struggle. Oh, Israel and Judah, what should I do with you? For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew in the sunlight. Now, if you've ever gone outside, everyone has seen dew before. When you go out in the summer especially and it's really humid and you see the dew that's in the grass and then the sun comes up and then within a matter of, I don't know, hours or something, that dew is completely gone. So in the same way, this is what God, how God sees his people's love for him. And maybe at times how he sees our love for him. That maybe it's superficial. Maybe it's not genuine. And so he says, look, I'm looking at my people. I don't know what to do with them. I'm struggling internally on how to deal with them. I love them. I care for them. But I don't feel like that love is being reciprocated. And even if it is being reciprocated, it's not genuine. It's not true. It's not coming from the heart. And so we break God's heart through our sin. And so we think, okay, are there any consequences to this? Are there consequences to our sin? And we know that there are tons of people in our world who continue to engage in the sins of of this world and continue to do the opposite of what God wants them to do without any consequences. And they think, okay, I'm going to keep going with this. I'm never going to get caught. right? God maybe is never going to judge me. But yet there are always consequences to the things that we do. And so we look at Hosea 10. He says, look, but you have cultivated wickedness and harvested a thriving crop of sin. So in a sense, you are sowing or you're reaping what you sow. That's exactly what's going on. Now, this isn't karma. This isn't like, okay, they're doing bad, so you're receiving bad. No, this is like you're doing bad things and you get consequences because you're breaking the rules. You're breaking the law. So God's people have been breaking God's covenant for a very long time, serving other gods. We ourselves, if we're honest, Right, maybe haven't always been true to the covenant that we're making with God. That we're saying, God, I want to serve you, I want you to be my God, but yet so often that we're asking other things to take the place of God in our life. And so are there consequences? Is there anything that we have to face for the things that we are doing? Well, God's people, that's what happens to them. Judgment comes. And we look at 722 BC, so this is about 750 to 760, maybe a little later than 760 BC. But what we know is that 722, right, Hosea is talking about how God is going to use the Assyrian people to come down and wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And so that's judgment. Now the modern mind would look at this and think, okay, like why is God such a jerk? I mean, that's the question I might have. That's the question you might have. When we see that God is using other people to judge his people and to kill his own people, we think, why is God such a jerk? Valid question. But I, the way I look at it is almost like a parent-to-child relationship. There are rules that you have in your home. There are things that people are supposed to do, your child is supposed to do. And if your child doesn't do those things, there are consequences to that. Now, I know every child psychologist, they, they probably say this, that if you tell your child... If you do that, I'm going to do this. And if you never do that, well, then your kid eventually is going to get to a point where they're not going to care what you say because they know they're going to call your bluff and they know you're not going to walk in or fulfill your end of this discipline. Now, I do this all the time, so I'm guilty of that just like probably like every other parent where you say you're going to do something and you never do it. But my kids don't walk all over me, so that's, that's also a very good thing. At least that's what I think. They don't walk all over me. And so in the very same way, this is how we see what God is doing here. This is a parent to a child. This is discipline. This is God saying, look, for years I have told you what's going to happen. For years I have said, look, if you break the covenant, this will happen. And over and over and over again, God has given his people chances. And yet they did not take advantage of those chances. And so God is saying, look, there's judgment that's coming. But we know at the end of the story with Hosea. We know that there's hope. We know that there is something that can remedy this problem that God's people have created that we have also created. And what we know from Hosea is that all of this, the reason we can have hope from any of this, like all of this is bad news if we just stop this message right here. This is all bad news, right? There is no hope for any of us if we know that God is going to bring judgment upon us for our sin and there's nothing beyond that, that there's nothing, there's no remedy, there's no solution, And so we know from Hosea, we read throughout and we'll read a few verses here in a second, that the reason why we have any hope is because God himself is compassionate. His own character tells us that there can be hope beyond the consequences that we have to face for our sins. So because God is compassionate, what we know from Hosea is that we can return. I can return. I can come back to God. Because of God's character, we can come back into his family. And because we can return, we know that we can also be transformed. So God doesn't just welcome us back, but he also wants to change us. He wants to change our hearts. He wants to change our minds, that we're more receptive to him. We're more open to him. And Hosea tells us this. He says, yet the time will come, and these are all verses throughout the book. Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore. Too many to count. Then at that place where they were told, you are not my people, it will be said, you are children of the living God. Right, so because God is compassionate, right? This is what we can see and we can do. Then the Lord said to Hosea, go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. Even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them, how can I give you up, Israel? He says, how can I let you go? So we know, look, that God is compassionate. So we know that we can return because God still loves us and God is having this struggle in his heart. How can I actually give you up? I love and I care for you. How can I let you go? So my people, how can I let you go? Or think about people in here who are us. How can God let us go for the sin that we've done? He said, my heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. And then the Lord said, I will heal you of your faithlessness. So for God, it wasn't enough just to say, you're welcome back, but he wants to change us. My love Will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. And so we know from the book that actually throughout the Old Testament, God has always had two options, right? The first option, as the video told us, the first option was okay, my people are not doing what I've asked them to do, so I'm just going to wipe them off the face of the earth and start all over again. Start with someone else. He did that with Moses, right? He was going to wipe his people off the face of the earth and then say, Moses, I'm going to start all over with you. But Moses said, no, he pleaded with God, said, no, 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 no. Like, we want to be your people, right? Give us another chance. And God relented of his anger and he gave his people another chance. And we see that multiple times where God could have done that. He could have gone with option one, but he decides, look, I'm going to go with option two. Now, again, you remember what a covenant is. A covenant says, look, here's, I'm going to be your God. This is God saying this. I'm going to be your God and you'll be my people so long as I uphold my end of the bargain. Now, the covenant will also stay in place so long as you uphold your end of the bargain. That was option two. But see, we actually have a greater story, a greater end to the story. Because God said, look, I know I can hold up my end of the bargain. But I look at my people, how imperfect they are. I look at my people and I say, they cannot uphold their end of the bargain. They cannot do this. They can't be perfect at the rules. They can't meet the standards that I have. And so what we know from the New Testament is that through Jesus, God has also met our end of the bargain because he knew that how imperfect we are, the things that we tend to do, we're not able to do what God is asking us to do. So the covenant remains because God himself is holding up both ends of the bargain on our behalf. And that's why you read in Romans chapter 5, Romans 5 tells us this, it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So while we were still in the position of not wanting to be with God, being hostile toward God, not wanting to do what God asked us to do, he still sent his son to die for us. So that sounds a lot like to me that he is meeting our end of the bargain. That he is being perfect on our behalf so that this covenant can remain. So we will always be God's people and he will always be our God because that's who God is. That's his character. He's compassionate. He's loving. And he wants us to always know that regardless of our sin, he welcomes us back in. But not just welcomes us, but he also wants to change us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time that you've given us today on this new Sunday morning time that we're meeting Thank you, Lord, that you have uh, given us a fresh word just as we read through Hosea about (laughs) our sin, the consequences of our sin, but the fact that you don't leave it there, that you don't leave us to suffer the consequences, and that is mercy, that you withhold from us what it is that we actually deserve, which is your judgment. But then you're abounding in grace that you give us something that we do not deserve which is your son, Jesus. So Lord, we thank you just for how kind you are, how compassionate you are, how loving you are, that you made a way for us when in our own strategy and in our own mind, there is no way. So we thank you for the way that you provide for us through Jesus. I pray, Lord, as we enter into communion, that you help us to remember that fact. Help us to remember that you came and died for us, that you fulfilled our end of the bargain so that you could always be our God and we would always be your people. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.